Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's program. We've titled the message today, Rebuilding Kingdom Marriages. I'm going to read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Defraud or hold not back from uh, ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, I need to set the stage of what's going on here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there has been either an individual or possibly even a, a group of individuals whom have written the Apostle Paul asking his opinion on relationships. He addresses uh, things in chapter 7 regarding marriage and uh, singleness and uh, divorce and separation. And we're going to be looking at those things in today's program. Uh, but let me begin with this. You know, some of the most beautiful islands in the world lie off of the Gulf Coast of the United States. These are places people will uh, spend a lot of money to tour and to vacation. And for most of the time, they are very beautiful. They have crystal clear waters and uh, white sandy beaches. They're beautiful coastal destinations. But as beautiful as they are, they're not perfect because occasionally these paradise islands are susceptible to tropical storms and hurricanes. We've seen that recently in uh, places like Puerto Rico and, and uh, even Florida. And uh, so these areas that are beautiful also are susceptible to storms. And that's the same way that relationships can be. You know, when a couple first gets married, the relationship is beautiful. There's a lot of love and passion, and and uh, people want to spend all of their time together. Uh, but what seems peaceful and serene for a moment can turn into a storm after a period of time. Sometimes that's because of selfishness. It could be other reasons. But sometimes instead of our marriages being calm and kingdom-like, they're more crazy and chaotic. Now, there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. You take any two people, uh, we are sinners, saved by grace, and hopefully you're saved. If you're unsaved, that's just another hurdle. But uh, you bring two people together, there's going to be issues. There's going to be conflict. It's just how it is. But the Bible does give us some uh, instructions on how we can build a kingdom marriage. But let's say you are not necessarily uh, building a first kingdom marriage. What if you're rebuilding a kingdom marriage? What I mean is, what if you have failed at marriage before? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, people, they fail in their relationships and a, a marriage falls apart and sometimes more than once, sometimes two, three, four times. And oftentimes, you know, I'll talk with people who have gone through a divorce, and many times they feel guilty, they feel like God maybe cannot use them anymore, and and uh, we, we need to know what the Bible has to say about uh, these relationship issues. Uh, instead of turning to the secular world, we should see what the Scripture has to say. Now, in an ideal world, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In an ideal world... Uh, what God prefers and what his word says is if you get married, marry a believer. If you're saved, marry a believer. 
But that doesn't always happen, you know. Sometimes that never gets discussed. Or perhaps uh, a young woman or young man who is saved think they can uh, win the other one uh, later on, and it's not important uh, at the time before marriage. But the Bible says that that's what you should do. You should marry a believer. But let's say that hasn't happened. What do you do about that? I want to share some thoughts from Scripture uh, to answer some of these questions as we look at rebuilding kingdom marriages. Now, the first thing that I want to address is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, and that is what the Bible has to say regarding marital separation. You know, sometimes things in a marriage deteriorate to the point where two people need some time apart. They need to separate. But there's a wrong method for that, and there's a Bible method for that. And that's what I want to share with you is the correct Bible method. If your marriage is in a situation where it looks like there needs to be a time of separation, what, what, what would that look like? Well, first of all, according to the Scripture, there should be consent in this separation. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, defraud you not one the other. That means don't hold back. Don't hold back your, your feelings, your thoughts, even uh, your, your physical um, attraction, hugs and kisses and those sort of things. Don't hold that back from the other except it be with consent. Now, let me stop right there. The word consent means there should be approval on both parties both parties in agreement to separate, Uh, not just one person deciding, well, you know, she says, well, I'm just leaving, or he says, I'm leaving. Uh, That's not consent. Consent implies not only that it's both parties in agreement, but it implies there is calm and there is communication involved in that decision. And when you get married, it should be something that, uh, you know, is not just so emotion-based that you can't Uh, talk about things, even when it comes to separation. It should be something both parties consent to. And then it should also be with constraint because verse 5 continues, except it be with consent for a time. Now, separation should not be open-ended, you know, so the wife decides, well, I'm just leaving and I don't know when I'll be back, or the husband says that. That's not what the scripture says to do. There should be a specific time frame. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what time frame. Uh, I would recommend a good rule of thumb is a matter of days, maybe four or five days, certainly not weeks or months. You've heard the old saying, absence can make the heart grow fonder. Well, sometimes absence can make the heart grow unfaithful. Uh, In fact, Paul addresses that later in verse 5. He says, and come together again after there's been some, some time apart, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Incontinency means your self-control. In other words, the longer two people are apart, the more opportunity there is for Satan to tempt you with another person uh, and to be unfaithful in the marriage. So there should be constraint. There should also be contemplation involved. In other words, what do you do during this time of separation if that is uh, what uh, both people decide is necessary? Well, again, verse 5, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. This implies that both are believers. So the husband is fasting, that's doing without food, the physical need, and spending that time on the spirit man and prayer, really praying for your marriage, praying for your spouse. It is not a time to run to the to the clubs or to uh, social media to meet up with a, an old flame or something like that. No, that time should be concentrated on serious fasting and prayer. So this is the biblical way 
to deal with marital separation. Now, I'm going to deal with another issue in marriage, and that is marital sanctification. Now, here's what this uh, is about. Let's say that your marriage is in pretty good shape as far as getting along and those sorts of things, but your spouse is not a believer. You're a believer. You go to church, you read your Bible, and you pray, but your spouse has no interest in those things. What do you do? Well, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and then also in a moment what the Apostle Peter writes in his letter uh, to the church. Uh, Now, I I think it's important to remember the culture of the day that the apostles were writing in. At this time, Christianity was just beginning. And so when either a husband or wife would come to faith in Jesus Christ, it was a big deal because it presented a problem to the marital relationship. Uh, You could, uh, if, if you were a Jew, let's say, and converted to Christianity, you were turning your back on religious law and tradition. Other Jewish families would ostracize you from the neighborhood synagogue. Uh, you would lose social status, maybe even your, your way of making a living. You would lose your friends. Uh, all of those things would happen. If you were a Gentile, you were challenging Roman culture because the Roman Empire was uh, in authority in those days. And, uh, you know, the Roman Empire said you could worship any god you want, just realize that Caesar is the ultimate power and and authority. Well, if you converted to Christianity, you recognize Jesus Christ is the only God, and he is the only one to follow. And so if you were a Gentile, you would face imprisonment, torture, maybe even death by converting to Christianity. So what was a Christian to do uh, who got saved, but yet they were married to an unbeliever? Should they leave them? And that was the question for Paul. What, What do we do? So I want you to listen now to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Paul writes, and unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. In other words, this is coming from God himself. Let not the wife depart from her husband. All right, so uh, she gets saved and he doesn't. That is not a reason for her to leave him. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried if she does leave, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away or divorce his wife. He gets saved and she isn't. Should he divorce his wife? And Paul says, no, don't do that. And then he says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. This is coming from Paul himself. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, she's not saved, and she be pleased to dwell with him, then let him not put her away. Don't divorce her just on the grounds of she's not a believer. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if it be pleased to dwell, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So, uh, wife, don't leave your husband just because he is an unbeliever. Now, here's the principle, verse fourteen: for the unbelieving husband is sanctified. There's the word we're we're looking at, sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean. That's before either one was saved, but now are they holy? Now. What is Paul telling us here in verse 14? Well, the word sanctified in this context means to have a special reason to be set apart, a special opportunity. Now, if you're saved and your spouse isn't, it does not mean, let's say the husband's saved and the wife isn't. It does not mean that she will go to heaven automatically on the coattails of her husband. That's not what sanctified here means. It means, though, that she is an unbeliever, has a special opportunity to get saved because she is exposed to a believing spouse. Uh, 
All right. Same thing if it is the wife who is saved and the husband's an unbeliever. You actually are giving that unbelieving spouse a better opportunity than otherwise they would have if you were still an unbeliever. So uh, now remember this, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So if that spouse refuses to get saved and they die and go to hell, uh, God is certainly going to even hold them more accountable because they had plenty of opportunity to witness the life of a believer. And children the same way. Children who are raised in a godly home don't automatically go to heaven, but they have a greater opportunity to accept Christ because they are exposed to uh, one or hopefully both uh, believing parents. Paul says later on in verse 16, for what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Now we know Jesus is the one who does the saving, but he's saying, how, how do you know if you're a believing wife, whether your influence is going to bring your husband to Christ? Well, you don't know. So you just live a Christian life or uh, how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So the point is, is that a spouse has an opportunity to come to Christ if uh, one, uh, the, the other one is saved. Now that can be frustrating. It can be frustrating if a spouse refuses to get saved or at least come to church with you. And I've seen that situation many times. Nine times out of 10, it's a it's a believing wife with an unsaved husband. And so here she is. She's praying for her husband to be saved. She's going to church every week, and he won't go with her. He stays home, goes fishing, plays golf, and it's not important to him. And it begins to get frustrating. And so you think, well, what am I ever going to do to reach my husband? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what won't work, all right? Nagging him will not work. You know, saying things like, why can't you ever go somewhere with me or quoting scriptures to him all the time? That's really not going uh, to cut it. Guilt trips won't work. Telling him things like, well, you ought to be ashamed that you go golfing and here I am going to church or look at our kids, go to church and see what kind of man that you are. That, That just won't work. Anger won't work. Getting angry and saying, well, I don't care whether you get saved or not. Uh, You know, I'm not even going to worry about you anymore. And and being angry. Even tears won't work. Trying to make him feel bad. And I'm saying this specifically to ladies because this is what I see more than otherwise uh, going the other direction. It's usually ladies wanting their husband to be saved. Those things won't work. Well, you say, well, pastor, what will work? (laughs) What will bring my husband to the Lord? Well, the key, I believe, is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2. The first way to do this is to be submissive to the leadership of your husband. You say, well, he's not a believer. Well, you know, unfortunately, he's not. Ideally, he would be the spiritual leader in the home. But what if he isn't? Does he still have a role to play as a leader? Well, he does, because according to the scripture, that is the role of a of a husband is to lead the home. And the Bible says several times as wives to be submissive. Now, listen to First Peter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That means you are submissive uh, to his leadership, all right? Now, if it's a matter of him uh, saying, you can't read your Bible, you can't pray, well, you know, you have to obey God rather than men. But in other words, be the best spouse you can be. Not only be submissive, but be sweet. Because Peter continues and says that if any obey not the word, so they're not getting saved, uh, you know, by hearing scriptures and, and that sort of thing. They may be won by the conversation or the lifestyle, the behavior of the wives. 
uh, the old saying uh, goes that you draw more uh, uh, flies with honey than vinegar, right? Well, you want to be as submissive as you can and as sweet as you can. That is what's going to convince your husband because you you can't argue anyone to get saved. We, we, we can't argue people into heaven. It's God that works on the heart. But if you're submissive and you're sweet, and then also I think it's important to be steady because verse two says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. In other words, they're watching your day-to-day behavior. Now, you don't want to be going to church on Sunday and then not living like a Christian throughout the rest of the week. Uh, If he's not going to church, he's not reading the Bible. You are the only thing he has uh, to go by as far as what a Christian is supposed to act like. So you have to be steady. Uh, and, you know, I think of it like this as well. If if you are a saved wife with an unbelieving husband, consider him your personal mission field. You know, you think, well, a missionary goes to Africa or Asia or India or somewhere like that. No, uh, the first important mission work that any of us have is at home. Think of Noah. The Bible says that Noah built the ark um, and to save his household. You know, that's all that got on the ark with him. But they were there. Uh, That means that he was a leader at home for his wife and his children. So consider your unbelieving husband, and if it is vice versa, maybe it's your wife, fellas, uh, maybe it's your children. That's your most important mission field. And by the way, there is no time frame in ministry. Uh, You know, if you go to, to work for the Lord, there's no retirement plan, all right? That may take 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but you stay submissive, stay sweet, stay steady, and then let God take care of the rest. Now, let me share the last point with you. And this is another uh, marital issue, and that is marital satisfaction. What uh, what do you do if you have gone through a divorce? Uh, you know, sometimes divorce can be worse than death for people. And you think, well, how is that? Well, uh, because of the lingering consequences, there's at least some sort of finality and closure with death. But with divorce, not so, especially with children. You know, I I often wish that young couples who are contemplating divorce would think more about their children because it becomes such a hardship on kids, especially if they're younger, because they often feel like they are the cause of mom and dad divorcing. And uh, even though it may not look like it's affecting them, it is. Uh, And so there are consequences for that. Now, we need to know what the Bible says about divorce. And uh, thank the Lord we do have scripture to go by. So let me share some things with you regarding divorce. Number one, God does disapprove of divorce. It's not, it's not something that he takes lightly, uh, but he disapproves of it. Listen now to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 19 and uh, verse 3. The Bible says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for every cause? In other words, you might call this no-fault divorce. You know, we have that in America today, and that has just devastated the family unit. And, you know, just I'm not happy anymore, and that's a reason to divorce. So that's the question. Is it okay to do that for any cause? Now, here's Jesus' answer. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Notice two genders there. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. So you leave mom and dad at home and you cling just to your wife. And they twain or two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, not government, 
not a civil union, not a piece of paper, but what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So it's important to God. It's not like going and borrowing money at the bank. We're not talking here about a a social contract. We're talking about a sacred covenant between God and two people who now God says is one. Well, they say to him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Well, Jesus answers that. He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, he's referring to their forefathers on the Exodus. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered or permitted uh, you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, you go all the way back to Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve, it was not so. So God disapproves of divorce. However, number two, God does permit divorce in certain situations. In chapter 19 now in verse 9, Jesus continues and says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away or divorce his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now that's pretty high standard. Here's what Jesus says. Only in the uh, situation of fornication, and fornication is any uh, sexual activity that is outside of the marital covenant or anything outside of the bonds of marriage uh, relationship is fornication. If that's a situation that's been unfaithfulness in that area, then God uh, permits divorce. Other than that, uh, he says that's adultery, that's committing adultery. Now, you know, sometimes I know there are things and people will, will throw up other issues. You know, what about physical abuse? Well, you certainly don't want to stay in a relationship where physical harm is taking place or uh, some other type of uh, of abuse. Certainly not. But the Lord Jesus Christ is making the point here that uh, the people were just making it just a flippant matter as if uh, divorce was just an easy thing. So, uh, you know, I'll get married, but if it doesn't work out, so what? I'll divorce. Well, we have that today and we see what it's doing to the family unit. So God does permit it in extreme situations. Something else I want you to know, though, God does forgive divorce. Many times divorced people feel defeated. They feel like they have failed, uh, maybe as a spouse or as a parent, and they wonder if God has forgiven them. Many times they'll say, well, I just can't forgive myself for that. But I want you to know that divorce is not the unpardonable or unforgivable sin. God forgives that. In fact, God will forgive every sin but one. That's called the unpardonable sin. Let me read it to you. It's close here in Matthew 12 and verse 31. Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. So there's not a sin God won't forgive except for this, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That is resisting the conviction and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. When a person is convicted of their sin and the Holy Spirit is drawing them to salvation and yet they spurn that, they say, no, I'm not going to get saved. I'm not doing that. There comes a time where they meet what you might think of as God's deadline, where no longer will the Holy Spirit deal with them and he'll leave them to their sin. Did you know a culture can come to that point? Romans 1 talks about that, that God, this is the antediluvian age prior to the flood. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I, I, 
I'm real uh, curious as to whether the United States of America has not crossed God's deadline. We're teetering on it if we've not crossed it, that's for sure. But I want you to know that if you've gone through a divorce and you have asked God to forgive you, uh, Lord, forgive me for my part in that and uh, help me to move forward. He has forgiven you of that sin and you're just beating yourself up over it for no reason. He's forgiven it. Now, God also does permit remarriage. When we go back to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15, uh, we have two uh, situations here. The Bible says, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So let's say you're saved and your spouse is unsaved and they leave you because of that. They, or for any other reason, they just leave. Well, that, that, uh, desertion now has freed you. Uh, and if they pursue a divorce, then you're free to go ahead and remarry. All right. The other situation would be death when death occurs. Uh, verse 39 says the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So God does permit it, of course, if a spouse passes away. Now you say, Pastor Tim, uh, that's not the situation with me. I, I got remarried. What should I do? Well, I would say this, whether you're on your first marriage or your fifth marriage, doesn't make any difference. Stay together and be saved and then move forward for God. Keep serving the Lord. Be the best witness that you can be and make this the best marriage, the one that's going to count, and you stay together with God's help. You can't change the past. You can beat yourself up and, and you have all kinds of uh, feelings and of defeat and all that. No, let that go. You've asked God to forgive you. Now, if you haven't, you need to do that. You need to ask God to forgive you and be sincere about it. But when you do that, move forward from here and make this the best marriage you, you can. And, and, and I think the best marriages have God at the center. There should be prayer involved and Bible reading and going to church together. Does that mean you'll have the perfect marriage? No, you'll still have troubles and trials uh, that we're, we're human beings. But when you have God there to keep you together, boy, it sure makes a difference. Well, thank you so much for listening to Bible Truth for Living today. I look forward to being with you again next time we're together. And until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.